St. Augustine was um, writing a book on the Trinity and he was kind of stuck. It was hard for him to get his mind around certain things. So he went for a walk on the beach. And as he was walking, he saw this boy who was going back and forth between the ocean and the sand. As he got closer, he could see that the boy had dug a hole in the sand and he had a seashell. And he was going to the ocean. He filled the seashell with water. He went back and he poured it into the hole. And he did this over and over again. And finally, St. Augustine was curious enough, so he approached the boy, and he said, Son, what are you doing? And the boy said, Well, I'm going to take the ocean, and I'm going to put it all into this little hole. And Augustine said, That's ridiculous. You'll never be able to do that. And he said to Augustine, I'll do that sooner than you will be able to fully comprehend the Trinity. And I was talking, actually, with someone about this after Mass yesterday, that, um, that, that we should expect that there are aspects of God that we cannot fully understand, right? If God is infinite and we're finite, we shouldn't expect. I said any God that you can completely comprehend would not be a God that is worthy of the name. So we say that the Holy Trinity is a central doctrine of faith, that it's a mystery, and what we mean by that is that it has been revealed to us by God. We could never have figured out the Trinity by ourselves, nor could we completely comprehend it. Now, that isn't an excuse not to think about it and try to understand. Augustine did, after all, complete his book, an excellent book on the Trinity. And we've been blessed that the Spirit of God has guided the Church into an understanding over the centuries of this central mystery of our faith. So, we say God is three and God is one, and that seems like we're math challenged, right? Three does not equal one. Well, we have to be more precise about what we're saying. So God is three persons in one nature. There's a distinction between person and nature that is made. Put simply, person answers the question of who, and nature answers the question of what. Person is that deepest part, ourselves, the one the, the, where the eye is, deep, deep within us. And a person, and like non-personal beings also, has a, a nature. The nature determines what the person can do. I have a human nature. I can think, I can choose, I can eat, I can laugh, I can sing. Well, maybe that's debatable, right? But applying this to God, we say that there is one divine nature, one source of divine operations, which is possessed by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is perfect and absolute, and the, the, the nature of divine nature is such that it cannot be separated. Jesus says in today's gospel, everything that the Father has is, is mine. And in, in a way we cannot fully understand the three persons of the Trinity all think with the same mind and will uh, and choose with the same will. Now, there is um, distinctions between the persons and so one of the places we turn to to understand that is the beginning of the Gospel of John. Do you know how it begins? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the Greek text there is logos, which we translate as word, which also could be translated as idea. So, the divine origin has a self-reflection a thought of, of himself, 
It's almost like a kind of mirror image that is, in fact, another person, so real, okay? And we call that the Son. Begotten from eternity, never in time did the Son come to exist. As long as the Father was, the Son was also, this self-reflection. And then they love each other. And their love is a third person. We call that person the Holy Spirit. So there's this distinction within God. The Father as origin, the Son as knowledge, and the Spirit as love. Whenever the divinity acts outside of itself, um, we tend to attribute the action to one of the three persons. So creation, for example. We tend to attribute creation to the Father, right? Um, but we heard in our first reading that, that, that with God from the beginning was wisdom. That wisdom was with God making all things. And indeed in the New Testament we read how it is through the Logos that the Father makes everything. The Logos holds everything together. It's, in fact, everything is made for the, the Logos. right? So actually all three persons are acting together when they act outside of the Trinity. Right? The last few weeks we've been reflecting on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus sent upon us with the Father at Pentecost, which sanctifies us, makes us holy, which, who dwells in our souls. But also, we see many times the Scripture speaks of the Father and Son also dwelling in our souls. So I've been preaching on this mystery of the Trinity for 17 years, and it's hard for me to have a new thought, except this week I did, and I want to share it with you. I was thinking about the philosophical problem of the one and the many. Now, this is an ancient philosophical problem. It has to do with considering the whole of reality and particular things within reality. And so, in some philosophies, this goes back to the ancient Greeks, uh, it's a focus on the one, such that it's believed there's really only one reality and the different things are not really different. They're just kind of sort of reflections or permutations of the one reality. And then on the other hand has been a view that there are only particular things and there's nothing really that connects them or that, that holds them together. And um, this is a, uh, a problem that's reflected somewhat in, in, in something related, which has to do um, with abstract universals and uh, individual things. So, for example... Um, there's a bunch of trees all around us, right? And, and we, we call them all trees. And we may even differentiate them in terms of species. Um, think of even just one species, uh, an oak tree. Oak trees come in different shapes and sizes. They come in different stages of development. And yet, we are able to call them all one thing. And so what is that, is that oak tree-ness? Is it, is it real? So in philosophy, you have the realists who say, and they have different answers for this, there really is this oak tree nature that exists. And you have the nominalists who say, no, uh, there's no real unity. It's just our minds. It's a creation of our minds. So just to give you, that's a little bit of the philosophical background. Now, there's a social application to that. How does it, what does it have to do with us as individuals and as groups? So with an emphasis on the one, then the, then the group or the state or the nation is by far the most important thing. In fact, individuals are uh, merely to serve or to serve the good of the whole, right? And so an extreme version of that would be totalitarianism, okay? So that's where the, the one is emphasized to the exclusion of the many. And then on the other hand, where the many are emphasized to the exclusion of the one, 
you have individualism. A radical individualism leads to one of two things. We're basically isolated from each other or we're constantly fighting. There's constant conflict. It's a kind of chaos. So those are the scales, uh, the one and the many there. Now, because God, God is the ultimate reality, the source of all reality, God is both one and three. Three persons in one nature, a communion of persons. And that tells us that the one and the many do not have to be in tension. And there isn't a choice between them. And God makes us in his image. He, he redeems us for a purpose, for us to enter into the communion of the Blessed Trinity, this shared life. Shared life in which there are distinctions, there are individuals, but there's, there's this oneness that keeps us together. So there's two things that have to happen in us uh, for us to enter into this oneness. Our minds have to be converted to the truth and our hearts have to be converted to love. Jesus says that the spirit of truth will come and will guide us into all truth. Now think about this. What's something that unifies, that can unifies people? When they apprehend together something true. Okay? And, this, and so, so outside of ourselves now, we're, uh, we're able to see that there's this, 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 this truth of how things really are. Who God is, who we are, big things. And, and God helps us to understand that. And in our common understanding of that, we are united. Right? This, this transcends our limited perspectives, oftentimes which are corrupted by sin and just our own limitations. I saw recently a documentary film entitled What is a Woman? by a man named Matt Walsh. And it's addressing the transgender controversy. And what he does throughout uh, the movie is he just interviews people. And he interviews many people who are um, uh, gender affirming or, or, or who are advocates of a, of a transgender ideology. He interviews a professor of gender studies. He interviews uh, a surgeon who, who, who does these sex change surgeries. He interviews a pediatrician who's involved in it as well. And he lets them talk for a while and he asks them just some simple questions. So the title of the documentary is What is a Woman? Because at some point in the conversation, he'll usually ask them, what is a woman? And it's interesting that they have difficulty giving a clear answer. And as he goes on in the conversation, it, it became clear to me anyways, it was about something much deeper than the transgender controversy. Uh, because his interlocutors, the gender ideologues, didn't believe that there is truth, that there is objective truth. In fact, one of them, the university professor, when, he, when, when, when he's asking Matt, why are you asking these questions? And Matt's like, I'm trying to understand the truth. And he says, well, I'm very uncomfortable with that language. And at one point, he says to Matt, well, what is truth? Now, who said that in the Bible? Pontius Pilate, right? Now, you can see how this is a problem that will keep us either in conflict or isolated. Because if, if each of us is sort of a God to ourselves that creates our own realities, rather than discovering a reality that is, we're never going to be able to come together. Now, the other thing that has to change is our heart. And so what do we hear in the second reading? St. Paul says that the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given us. And so we are able then to love uh, in a way beyond our human nature, right? to truly desire the good of others, right? the good in truth, to, to want their well-being, to be willing to sacrifice for them, to, to be forgiving. Okay? And so this is then, this unites us, this truth and love 
that come to us from God enable us to be here on earth the body of Christ, which is again another wonderful image of what? Of diversity, difference, parts that all function harmoniously and are all really part of one thing at the same time. We may not be able to fully comprehend the mystery of the Trinity, but we can understand some of its important implications. Both unity and individuality are real. In fact, they go right into the very source of being itself. They need not be opposed. We don't have to choose between stifling uniformity or chaotic individuality because the triune God has made us for communion. 